electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Brian Sullivan in for Scott Wapner, and what a day it is to be here because it is a sell-off on the street. Tech trounced again. Sellers, they're heading for the exit, at least on some of the big tech names that you know. And your big money stat of the day, more than half of the stocks in the NASDAQ 100 are down 10% or more from their 52-week highs. Has the momentum finally broken long-term on the tech trade? We're going to debate that and more with your big-time investment committee today. Joining us on the half, you've got Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Liebenthal, and Pete Nigerian. Before we get to everybody, we have got to get a check on these markets. The NASDAQ is down big as well, although it is off its lows. But with today, it is now down five of the past seven sessions. It's off about 5% from its record close. The S&P, by the way, having its worst two-day slide since March. Dow Industrials down 471. The Nasdaq down four-tenths of 1%. Was much more down than earlier today, but we have seen a little bit of a comeback, as you just saw in that work-from-home trade that TechCheck was talking about as well. One thing to note, the yield on the benchmark 10-year note, it's not moving at all. So it doesn't appear to be some big-time flight to quality. That yield at 1.62%. So let's kick it off now. Go around the horn. So much to dive into. Stephanie Link, two-parter to start it. Number one, what do you make of the sell-off? Number two, to my point of the 10-year yield, it doesn't look like a fear-based trade. We're not seeing buyers come running into bonds, come running into gold. What's your macro take on today and yesterday's big moves? Well, my macro take is that the economy is absolutely recovering. You saw the JOLTS numbers today, a 40% year-over-year. The NFIB, the best number since 2020 of November. Um, the, we're reopening more states. That's leading to better growth. We have ample liquidity. That's leading to better GDP growth. That's leading to a little bit more inflation. And it is, I think interest rates actually are starting to creep a little bit higher. We don't want rates to skyrocket higher. So I'm fine with it just kind of creeping over the 160 mark. And I think it's probably headed higher over time. But uh, that combination of better growth, a little more inflation, a little higher interest rates. That's a recipe for cyclicals. That's a, that's a recipe for value. And that is what we're seeing. We're seeing a major rotation happening at the expense of growth, at the expense of expensive growth, not just tech, but across the board. Anything that's high multiple has certainly re-rated lower. And I think that that's going to continue because the data is continuing to get better. And I think people are still very crowded in these names, in tech, in FANG, in expensive stock. Because that's what, what has worked over the last several years. In terms of rates overall, I, I really just, as I said before, I think if you kind of gradually move higher and it's going higher for the right reasons because growth is better, that's just fine. 
Yeah, Josh, I love that what you said. At the expense of expensive, we'll call it the Burberry to Big Lots trade. No offense, I guess, to either of those names. <laughs> is this what you're recommending to your clients as well? Is this, is this finally that great rotation that you guys have been talking about on halftime for months now? Well, I think the rotation is ongoing, and we don't recommend, to be very clear, that people try to capitalize on like these seven-day gyrations from one sector to the next. Um, it really actually can't be done in real life on a consistent basis. It's a recipe for churning and chopping up your own portfolio, paying a lot of taxes for no reason. We are more likely, however, uh, to look at a market like this and say the setup going forward for new money coming in probably is better uh, than it was two weeks ago. You've had a blow off top and some of the most obnoxiously aggressive trades happening out there. Um, you have a little bit more humility in the marketplace right now. You've had some great stocks come down 20, 25 percent from their highs, giving you an opportunity that you were begging for just as recently as February and March when these stocks were going up one, two percent every single day. Um, and you have some great managers, active managers who you might have felt, all right, it's too late. I missed that train. So if you're somebody that's looked on enviously as Kathy Woods doubled uh, her client's money, well, now she's in a massive drawdown. So if you're still bullish on that theme of investing in innovation, maybe here is a better entry uh, than you were offered. I actually am seeing signs of capitulation. A lot of the technology names that were deeply red on the open are now green on the day. Um, and I'm seeing actually some of the volatility from tech starting to spill over into the industrials and the financials. The home builders are getting whacked today. XHB down 3.7% uh, this morning. That's pretty notable. It's a huge winner. It's up 33% year to date, even with today's sell-off. Uh, but you're starting to see yeah. some of the volatility move to other sectors. Uh, the VIX almost tagged 24 this morning. That's the highest level we've seen in a few weeks. So I think the action's healthy for people who aren't fully invested in the most aggressive <clears throat> trades. And now they have another shot at it. So uh, I think you should be yeah, encouraged. And, and, and uh, more than fearful. Yeah, encouraged as well, Pete Nigerian. I think Josh puts it well. We've gone through, before yesterday, 35 straight trading days without a 1% drawdown in the S&P 500. One of the longest stretches, believe it or not, in years. The VIX got down to, I think, 15 mm -hmm. or 16. It's popped a little bit today. We just showed it's at 21, but it's not at 35. Mm -hmm. It's not apocalypse now. It may not smell like victory, but what does this smell like to you? What is the market doing and what is the market telling you right now, Pete? Yeah, it's still part of that continuous. And, and Josh was, was indicating on uh, talking about rotation. This is not a rotation that just started a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. This rotation started all the way back. You can go all the way back to October, November. And you suddenly saw the rotation that went into financials, industrials, materials, and they have been exploding to the upside. And Josh mentions the housing market as well. I'll tell you what, that when you look at many of those names in that market, they were just at 52-week highs for D.R. Horton just yesterday. So you're, you're looking at names that have really performed really, really nicely. Yes, they're going to have a little bit of a pullback here and there. I think the thing that really stands out for me is, even though they've come back today, it's been sort of this theme of 
sort of hitting some of those names that are on the, that high list, and, and Stephanie talked about them being expensive. She's exactly right. They're not even expensive. They have no multiples on many of these names and very high multiples <laughs> on many of the other names. And, yeah. and, and that's the whole thing is, you know, when you watch that rotation, just take a look at DocuSign, where it's been over the last period of time, and, and, and go through that whole list. And it's a long list of names where you look at them and you just, they had this great run to the upside, They've had significant pullbacks, and today they've actually been all over the place in a nice big move, actually rallying and getting back into positive territory. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think the most interesting was the turn that we saw in the semiconductors today because they've been, getting, they've been coming after some of those names now. They started yesterday, a little bit early today, and it's something that I think we're going to have to watch not only into the close, but for the next week or two because the semiconductors have really been on fire, mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden we're seeing a little bit of weakness, a little bit of selling pressure on a consistent basis, and you just wonder – is this time to start dipping your toe in there or not? And it, it's a difficult thing because that has been an area where we've seen a lot of pressure of late. Yeah, Jim, I'm looking here at the screen. Zoom down 50% from its 52-week high. Peloton down 49%. DocuSign, Pete mentioned it, off 33% from its 52-week high. Let's be honest, a lot of people made a lot of money in these names since the pandemic and the lockdowns began. This, is this in any way an unhealthy move? Rotating out of names, to Josh and Pete's point, where the valuations got stupid in some cases, if you could even put a valuation on it, do you view this as an unhealthy pullback? No, I don't think anything that's going on in the, mark, Sully, uh, in the market, Sully, is bad right now. Um, first off, those names that you're talking about, you know, most of them are up over 100% over the last year, well over 100%. So, you know, if you've been sitting on them during that time frame, you've got to expect that you're going to have big drawdowns like this. Now, here's where things get interesting, is at these prices that they've come down to, and with the way their business fundamentals, their earnings, in some cases their earnings, are growing, you're actually getting to a level where these hyper-growth stocks, they come down another 10 15% on something like a Roku or a Twilio. And you can not only trade them at that level, but you can actually be an investor. And the distinction being, as an investor, you can place valuation on multiples. You can place valuations on EBITDAs and growth rates and say, you know what? This is at a value that's below its intrinsic worth. That's a new stage for these companies that they haven't been in for years. I've talked about Roku and I've traded in and out of it over the last three years. But at no point have I said that yep. it's an investment. It's always been a momentum trade. These things give them another 10% down. And I think they will go down another 10%. And you can start valuing these and make long-term investments. Uh, I, I think what you're saying is they got to go down to kind of grow up, to mature in that market as well, Jim. I don't want to put words in your mouth. We'll get more on this right now, though. We have got a news alert. Steve Leesman joining us now. Federal Reserve and some news on the tape. Steve, what do you got? Brian, thanks. Fed Governor Lael Brainerd making a speech about the economy and inflation, uh, something high in the mind of the, of the market right now, saying she sees reasons to expect the inflation increases that are coming will be largely transitory, sticking to the party line on that. She says it's more difficult to predict the size and duration of supply-side bottlenecks. She does mention the recent shutdown of the Colonial Pipeline. She's attentive to risks, she says, uh, that inflation could prove more persistent, and that should it be so, the Fed has the tools to address it. 
Overall, she expects the deflationary forces that have held down inflation over the past several years to reassert themselves next year. The outlook is bright, she says, but risks remain as evidenced by the recent uh, jobs report. Real quick, uh, Brian, I want to share with you the high-frequency inflation data that we follow here from Price. Uh, State Street provides this from Price Out. It's web scraping uh, data from, from prices from the web, uh, hitting an all-time high for the series back to 2009. Year-over-year, 3.9%. That's CPI coming tomorrow. Maybe some upside risk there. This is something the market's going to have to deal with and digest before the transitory nature of this inflation, perhaps, Brian, research itself. You know, the great comedian Stephen Wright, Steve, just once said, everything is within walking distance if you have the time. Do we have any idea what the <laughs> Fed's definition of his joke, not mine, any definition of what transitory means? Seriously, do we have any idea? Yes. Is that a yes. month, five yes. years, 10 years? Yes. And I also bought some batteries, Brian, but they weren't included. Um, yes, the, the, the <laughs> Fed is talking about... Um, Next year, this uh, the inflation uh, the the inflationary forces forces. You have two things that are happening, or three things probably. The first thing is that you have the base effects. You have the old low numbers falling out of the over-year calculation. You have the supply disruptions going on right now, and you have some wage push yep. pressure, uh, and th th that's really pushing things up. Those things should work themselves out. Global supply chains reassert themselves. Everybody gets back in their own place like an old, like a, like a game of musical chairs, gets back to work, and, and then we're back to where we were before. That's what the Fed thinks. They're, they're, what they're not doing, Brian, is throwing out roughly three decades of deflationary forces and saying that secular trend is going away as a result of the pandemic. Fair enough, but you might want to rerun that data after this colonial pipeline stuff has gone through, because we've got gas stations, you know there will be gouging inflation and parts will go up. Steve Leishman, great stuff. Thank you very much. We're going to get to the fang names in just one second. Stephanie Link, I want to go to you because you heard about it. The Fed, every day, there's no inflation. And if there is, it won't last. Is inflationary fear at all a part of what we are seeing in the stock market? Or is it just something simply the bond market and nothing else? No, I, th I think uh, inflation is definitely on top of mind. I got five questions from our advisors just today on it, right? So people are starting to think about it and they're seeing it and they're experiencing it firsthand. Their customers are, are doing the same. I've talked to a dozen, a dozen companies, Brian, Everybody is seeing commodity cost inflation, everybody, right? And some companies are gonna be able to price for it. That's good, that's fine, and some are not. So you have some winners and some losers. I think just about every consumer staple company said last week that they are going to be raising prices. So that's gonna actually be something to watch for the, for the consumer if demand kind of tails off. Mm -hmm. But there's so much liquidity in the system, right? So there is, an, in my opinion, not only just in the US, but also around the world, $100 trillion of, of stimulus in the system. How does that not lead to more than just transitory uh, inflation on the commodity side. And then, of course, we just got a 7 tenth increase on the average hourly earnings number last week in the non-farm payroll numbers. That was a surprise to the upside. So I think you're going to start to have to see a lot higher wages. And that's the thing I worry about. Unit labor costs, they're zero now, but I think they go higher. And that's 70 percent of the inflation input. So that's something you have to watch. Yeah. Well, and we have to watch it as well. 8.1 million jobs in that jolt. You're going to have, by the way, maybe it's a good thing. People want to work. Now's the time to ask for that raise. All right, let's move on. 
The FANG names, the biggest of the big tech stocks, certainly have lost some of their bite lately, and they are being sold big time. Case in point, Amazon's down 8% this month. Facebook, 7%. Apple down 6%. By the way, Apple is now lower on the year. It's one of only eight Dow components down in 2021, and it's actually down the most of any Dow component this year. But Josh Brown, again, we got to separate these names, Apples and Amazons. These are long-term, give-your-kids-these-stocks types investments, right? These are not short-term, fly-by-night because trends change in a year. These are long-term holds, I assume. Well, they all doubled last year. And in the case of Apple, it's, it's way higher than its average uh, uh, valuation has been in recent years. Now, you can make the argument for good reason. Apple has never been in a better position strategically, technologically, cash flow-wise. Okay, fine. Um, but it's tough to say that that hasn't already been priced into the stock. If you're a long-term investor, though, uh, you're not abandoning it. Uh, you're, you're sticking with it and maybe looking for opportunities to add to it. So that's always been my attitude. I've been in the stock when it's been expensive. I've been in it when it's been cheap. Uh, it's one of the biggest winners probably I'll ever experience in my lifetime. So how they do in any one quarter is not particularly important to me. But I think we, we can't move on from the inflation conversation because I think that really is the answer to why we're seeing large cap growth stocks, the FANG names uh, included, uh, trading off of their highs. But I think it's important to point out the best cure for high prices in the real economy are high prices in the real economy. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that you're seeing in commodities has to do with production shut-ins, and just has to do with us catching up to the fact that a lot of the world was not able to operate uh, last year. And there were all kinds of imbalances. And some of that yeah. stuff will be transitory. I do agree with Stephanie, though. You are going to see workers being paid more. You are going to see that start to show up, uh, especially in uh, corporate conference calls when they have the chance to complain about it. Um, and you'll see it show up in the numbers. <laughs> but I do think it'll be more than offset uh, by the fact that the people so, that are now benefiting from inflation are the people who are in the bottom 50% of the wealth distribution in this country. They're benefiting from it. It's not hurting them as much as it's helping them. As long as and that is in the form of increased demand for, for, for work. So I, I don't think it's their, definitely yeah, an overall services. negative. Look, the no, last I, part I agree, of this, and that's why and I said if you've, got, you've got wage power, if you're working, ask for that raise now, by the way. Josh, I want to stick with you. Real quick follow-up on that. You connected inflation to big tech. Is that because the effect inflation will have on bond yields, which could dampen growth, or is, it, or is there a direct inflation correlation? Because Apple, by the way, probably one company not impacted by inflation because people are going to pay 1300 or 1200 doesn't really matter. They need a new phone. They're going to buy one. Well, this is the point that I want to make. This is actually the most important thing that I'm going to say today. And then I'll probably just, you know, kind of zone out for the rest of the show. Um, but if you hear anything that I say today, please hear this. Please hear this. All of the inflation that you're seeing right now is being driven by the wealth effect from the stock market. So if there's enough fear about inflation or if the Fed is somehow forced to act quickly or forcefully, which I don't think they're going to do, but let's just say that's the thing you're worried about, right? And that's the thing that's producing volatility in the stock market. Well, that's great because it's a self-correcting system. The Fed will move or the market will move mm. or both. That will take the juice out of the stock market. No more inflation problem. 
Everybody that you know that's remodeling their house, why do you think they're doing that? Because their 401k became a 601k. And they had to cancel a whole <laughs> bunch of activities during the pandemic, which saved them money. All of the wealth effect is coming from the stock market. So if you think inflation is a threat, just understand something. If stocks cool off, that threat will be neutralized. People will come right back to this idea of, well, what else do I do with my money and go right yep. back into stocks? So I would not use that as the reason to get bearish here. Uh, but I accept the fact that it will produce some volatility okay. in, in the near term. Fair enough. And Pete Najarian, a lot of big new Mastercraft wakeboard now, boats, I'll bet you, on Lake Minnetonka, don't you know? But you sold <laughs> sold your <laughs> Apple. <laughs> Pete's like, I own one of those. You sold your Apple and Facebook calls. You sold the calls, right. not the equity. Tell us about the trade. Right. Holding on to the equities, um, you know, Apple's been my longest trade. It's been something that I've, I call it a trade. It's been an investment because that goes all the way back into the 90s. And I don't mean price, I mean the year. So um, that, that's been something that's been there for a really long period of time. I continue to want to hold on to it. Josh was talking about long term. Absolutely. Long term. There has been nothing that I've heard from Apple in all these years that has made me want to say, you know what, I need to get out of this name because of this reason. But Facebook is another one that has turned into a long term hold because they've been so Teflon, uh, Brian, for so long. Now, I, I, every once in a while, I started, I, I want to double up and I'll buy calls. It didn't work as well in Apple because it just didn't perform as well. It did work pretty well for me in mm -hmm. Facebook because Facebook made a pretty nice run. But you know what? Those are trades. The stocks themselves are investments, and I will be holding on to those two names. I like them. I think Facebook, no matter what they throw at it, it seems to be able to hang in there and then just continue to go higher. And just take a look at what it's done in the last two months, three months, six months. It's been an absolutely incredible yeah. run, despite the fact that we are seeing the CEO or some member of the, uh, the C-suite in front of somebody in Washington, D.C. So it, it's just been amazing. And the cash that they're able to... Um, to de derive from what they do with their, their all the different companies they've got, I really think that there are still a lot of different angles that they can take and pull on all these different yeah. verticals that they've got to grow even more. So I'm, I'm really impressed with what they've been able to do. Well, fair enough. Jim, you've been buying Apple. You think we could still make new highs this year? I, I very much so do. Um, you know, people watching the show know that I was buying it in February and March. Loved those earnings reports a few weeks ago, and now it's come right back down. I am by no means thrown from this horse. Um, there's talk out there about iPhone production orders being lower than expected in China. You want to talk about something that's transitory? That's transitory. That is not something that a long-term investor pays attention to. And let me put it to you this way. If the stock goes down, the company is buying more shares. They just announced a buyback. I believe it was $80 billion. They routinely shrink their share count quarter over quarter over quarter. They're going to keep buying more shares. This is very much a long-term hold. And whatever <coughs> it does last week, this week, is meaningless to me. I think it will set a new high this year. Wow. There you go. A bullish call there on Apple. All right, Stephanie Link, you've been trimming Google, Alphabet, whatever, Google, but you're not dumping <laughs> tech in total. So you're selling a little Google and buying a little Cisco systems. Why? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm underweight technology, and I have been pretty much all year. Um, look, I, I think Google Alphabet up 37% last week, and I just thought it was prudent to take some off. I'm still 200 basis points overweight the name. I also sold a little bit of Lamb Research, up 27% year to date, up 120, 120% in the past year. I think it's prudent just to take some gains when you have them. I think Cisco has really lagged, and for good reason. They've been very inconsistent, right? Um, but it's only up 25% in the last year. It is a reopen name. Uh, enterprise spend will come back as we go back to work. It trades at 16 times earnings and it gives you a 2.7% yield. So I think the management is fabulous. Cash flow is terrific. And I just think it's underappreciated at this point versus these other names, which are, by the way, very mm -hmm. still very crowded. Back to my initial point. All right, let's step outside of tech for just a bit. Bank of America out with a note saying that Goldilocks inflation, their term, could be positive for many of the banks, particularly the big ones, and naming Citigroup as a top pick. Jim, you gotta love the call, you own City. Yeah, well, I, I love, I do like the call on City. I love the call on the space overall. Um, you know, we've talked about this for many months. This seems a very obvious setup. Interest rates, in my opinion, are going to go higher. Uh, the Fed's going to be late to move off the short end, so you're going to get a steeper yield curve, which benefits banks like Citigroup, like Goldman Sachs. Uh, you've got credit losses going in the reverse direction. That's a positive. They're green-lighted on sharebacks, even more so than just back in November when they were first green-lighted. Uh, dividend yields are high. You know, they're buying back shares in Citi's group below book value. So I, I feel very good about Citi and the big money center banks right now. Feeling very good about it. Peter, Jerry, you know what else people are feeling good about? is Vegas hotel reservations. Thought they'd be sold out by Labor Day. They're already sold out in some cases. Value stocks, the Bank of America note, says that value runs tend to last about five years. You're a buyer of Las Vegas sands. Is this a trade or is this a multi-year own? It's not a multi-year own, it's a trade for me, but I'll tell you what, it is a trade upon exactly what you're talking about, essentially the reopen and, and how things are going, and we're already seeing good examples of this. Stock has not really performed, Brian, to this point. When you look back a year to date, where it started, where we are right now, it's been volatile, it's been a little bit higher, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It really has really gone nowhere. So I do think that there's upside here. I continue to see option activity in here that tells me that they are betting on the idea, get it, betting on the idea, that this is going a little bit higher. So I, I certainly <laughs> agree with them, and I'm jumping on board and being a part of that as well. With the calls, I'm not in the stock. I, I, I still think that the stock itself is, is interesting. I like it, but, I, but I'd rather be in the calls right now to use that leverage that I've got for the upside. All right, fair enough there, guys. Good discussion. Good discussion on a lot of what's happening in the market right now. But up next, we're going to switch. Talk about another big story, and that is the very latest on the Colonial Pipeline shutdown and why some gas stations are now running out of gasoline. Plus, the red-hot commodities trade, the stocks that should be on your radar as well from that. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go if you're going out there anywhere. Check us out on the CNBC.com app. Download it today. Halftime Report is back in two. We'll see you then. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. 
That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Violence continues to escalate in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Hamas fired hundreds of rockets into Israel, including one that hit a high-rise building. Two women were killed in the attacks, the first Israeli deaths in this new outbreak. In Gaza City, a funeral procession for three Islamic Jihad members killed by an Israeli missile strike. Health officials say that 26 Palestinians, including nine children and a woman, have been killed. Israel's military says that 16 of the dead were militants. In Russia, seven students, one teacher and one school worker, are dead after a gunman attacked the school. That happened around 430 miles east of Moscow. A 19-year-old former student who reportedly had promised on his social media account to kill a large amount of biomass has been arrested. And back here in the U.S., in another effort to encourage vaccinations, the White House has a new partnership with Uber and Lyft to provide free rides to get a shot. You're now up to date. Brian, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. See you soon. All right, now to that latest on the ransomware attack that shut down the most vital fuel pipeline in the United States, and that is the Colonial Pipeline. Let's give you what we know at this hour. Pipeline not yet back online. Small parts restarted yesterday. Some were shut back down again. Still waiting for more of an update for the company who is gone Pretty doggone quiet. Colonial are out there. I reached out to you. Give us a call. The CEO telling the White House Colonial does have control of the pipeline, but will not fully restart it until the threat is over. What that threat is, we still don't know. Now, the real world impact beginning to be felt. North Carolina governor declaring a state of emergency. Some gas stations reporting no gas to sell. And so gas prices are on the rise and they're about to hit three bucks a gallon nationwide, the most in three years. GasBuddy.com, look at that, reporting that more than 7% of Virginia stations say they are out of some or all different types of octanes. Georgia and North Carolina also seeing problems. And unfortunately, we're hearing reports of multi-hour gas lines. Panic buying. Gas buying going up 19% yesterday. Just sit tight, folks. Be careful. Everybody's going to try to jump the line. Gas is not the new toilet paper. The news also impacting air travel as well. American Airlines adding a stop to a planned non-stop flight. Supposed to go from Charlotte to Hawaii without stopping? Nope. Now stopping in Dallas-Fort Worth to refuel or change planes. You've got oil tanker rates also spiking. Stocks, guys, like Scorpio tankers and others because traders are bidding up charters with the idea they may have to ship gasoline to New York. And some huge refineries like Motiva in Texas to slow down refining Motiva the biggest refinery in America, by the way, closing two of its three units. And if that wasn't enough, the Colonial Pipeline website is still offline and has been all morning long. All right, there's the latest on what we know. Steph, you've been buying oil company, oil services company Schlumberge all before this pipeline mess. Does this in any way change or maybe magnify your belief in SLB and the rebuild out of that oil infrastructure? Yeah, they'll certainly benefit. Um, but I, I'm, I'm adding to Schlumberger mainly because 
It's a little bit more beta. The opposite name that I own is Chevron. So I kind of have this barbell thing going on in energy. Um, but Schlumberger had a fabulous quarter. They raised guidance. They confirmed that margins are going to expand, not only for this year, but in the coming years. International is inflecting, and we know they're skewed more towards international oil service. And as the companies like Chevron and Exxon spend on the upstream business, these guys are certainly going to benefit. So this, by the way, Brian, is still down 64 <laughs> percent since 2017. So I think it could actually see a nice recovery yep. this year and into next year. Yeah, and if you, Tom Lee was on earlier, if you read his notes, uh, Pete Nigerini says when oil is here, oil stocks tend to be here, but they're still well below that. I'm making all kinds of random motions with my hand. You've been making a lot of space in the energy materials. You bought Devon calls, Exxon calls. You own Chevron. You own Kinder Morgan as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, the energy space, as we said, I mean, this is a move that's been happening for a while. I continue to think that this is not the end of it. I think it's there's more upside. And to Steph's point, she's talking about adding to Schlumberger. I, I love that name as well. I think some of these names have been absolutely just almost given up for dead in some cases, and yet they're starting to rise again and have had a nice little bit of a move so far. And we'll see how far this can go, Brian. But I like the energy space, and I like having yeah. Chevron with the stock. Exxon, on the other hand, with the calls. But, you know, it's not just there. It's also in the material space as well. I know we're talking energy right now, but when you look at the material space, they kind of go hand in hand, and these have really been rising in a big way of late. And you look at all these iron ore names and steel names, it has really been an absolute extraordinary move of late. Well, Jim, you've got institutional ownership. You've got university endowments. They won't own fossil fuels, right? Dump them. They're killing the environment. Just sell them. By the way, their loss may be some other people's gains. You like Marathon and a few others. Yeah, Marathon, Kinder Morgan. And, you know, the, the problem with saying that you're not going to be in fossil fuels is that there is still a very long runway until renewables take over. Now, don't mistake me. I really want renewables to take over. That's better for the world. But the problem is we're just many, many years away in which we're still going to use fuels for transportation and electricity distribution. So pipelines like Kinder Morgan, it's not only benefiting from colonials, benefiting from general higher activity through its pipelines. Marathon Petroleum, They're about to close on that sale of the Speedway unit, which will allow them to recapitalize their balance sheet. I like both of those companies. And with Pete, this extends to the basic materials where cost cutting last year has become permanent and will permanently improve margins for basic material companies. Josh, your take. I don't have any direct holdings in oil companies. I don't want to personally fund them with my capital. I do, however have exposure to them through many funds, index funds, actively managed mutual funds. So I'm not a purist in this arena. I just think there are better opportunities. However, these stocks had become entirely too oversold, absolutely thrown out, liquidated uh, from the markets. They shrunk to less than 2% of the S&P 500. So the snapback seemed inevitable. Uh, I don't think most of these companies will exist 10 years from now. So if I were to be in the space, I'd be prioritizing cash flow, transmission uh, operations like Kinder Morgan, uh, or at least companies that have some sense of how they have to transform in the yeah. future. So BP over Exxon, for example. And just make sure they have some cash flow, which many of these, to your point, Josh, did not have for about 10 years, or it was debt fueled. All right, a good discussion there, guys, on the Colonial News, waiting for updates from them. All right, straight ahead. 
bullish calls on two consumer stocks that have both gone up 40% in a year, but we're going to debate if it's still too late to jump in and buy. Plus, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. All month long, we are spotlighting our CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own on-air anchors, reporters, and friends. And here's our friend CNBC's Elon Moy. I spent a lot of time as a kid trying to figure out American culture, and I am so glad that the conversation is now shifting so that people want to understand more about our culture. My advice to the next generation is never to hide who you are or where you came from, because those are the very things that will make you unique and indispensable in whatever work you choose to do. Never be afraid to speak up about who you are. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. The Dow is down 511 points, 1.5% right now being hit harder than the other index. The NASDAQ well off its lows, by the way. Not a, I don't want to call it a tech comeback, but certainly a bounce back at least off the lows. The NASDAQ down four-tenths of 1%. Meantime, some bullish calls on the street today. Let us begin with Home Depot. Price target raised to 340 from 320 at Morgan Stanley. Jim, you own it. What do you think of the call? Yeah. Hey, listen, Sully, I got a little fire alarm going in the background here, but I'll still go through with this, which is the fire alarm is not to go sell Home Depot. Okay, I own it. I bought it after the fourth quarter report when it went down. It's going to be fine. This is my lumber play. But I got to tell you, I'm not adding new money here. You got to respect it's up 24 percent and say, is this the time I want to buy when lumber prices quadrupled? So uh, this is a solid hold, but don't add to it here. Also, go check to make sure it's not, you know, like a fire. Because with lumber prices where they are, you don't want to have to rebuild. Go, che- go check. You're saying, Stay you're safe. saying that would be a financial tragedy back. as opposed to a human oh, tragedy? God. Well, I don't know. How, whatever you got in there, Farmer Jim. I, goats, cats, I'm goating, just check it out. All right, next up, Nike. Good grief. Everyone's like, I got a fire going. What's that? Maybe it's a fire. All right, Nike upgraded to buy from hold to Jeffrey's. Steph, you, you, you previously owned Nike. Are you lured in by this call to rebuy it again? No, not at 43 times earnings and for mid-teens earnings growth and upper single-digit total revenue growth. I just think that's just way too expensive. Look, I think they're doing all the right things on the DTC side, and that has very powerful implications for margins. 
but at the flip side, it is expensive. And you've got this issue of these boycotts in China, which I think could be pretty material. So not only that, but higher commodity costs, like we were talking earlier, they're going to be hit by that as well. So I just think I would love for this thing to pull back 15 percent. And then that's where I would be probably more interested. But yeah, it's just too expensive here. Yeah. All right. And maybe getting more expensive. All right. Stay with us. Pete's latest trades in unusual activity is coming up next on the Halftime Report with the Dow down 500. Jim's going to make sure his house is on fire. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. It is time now for unusual activity. Pete, what are you seeing? All right, I'm going to start with the gap. And this one's interesting because it's been moving all year long, Brian. It's actually started out extremely low. It's just been absolutely accelerating to the upside. And somebody's out there seeing a little bit of a pullback today saying, look, let's take advantage of that by buying the May 34 calls. And they bought about 6,300 of these. They paid about a dollar and a quarter for these and actually hedged themselves by selling the upside calls up at 36 and a half. But basically what they're doing is they're looking for this stock to make a move back up and then may basically push upon the 52-week because this stock has been absolutely on fire. It's hit multiple times. They did a great job on their earnings report when they talked about their online sales and the growth that they've seen there. I've got a second one as well, International, International Gaming Technology, IGT. Now, this is another one. The stock was trading about 19 and a quarter at the time and a buyer of the June 20 calls. They bought about 8,000 of those calls, call it for about a dollar, and the stock started to move a little bit to the upside. Last I looked, it is over 20 right now, so it's already starting to make a little bit of a move. They also were buying the July 20s, and on top of all that, I believe we've got earnings coming up very, very shortly. So a lot of bets going on. Again, bets bets going on that this stock is going higher. I think it's going to be a really interesting one. I am in these calls. Lastly, I'm going to give you an update. Last week, I think it was uh, on Friday, I had my final trade, Novavax. Unfortunately, the call buying that I had seen on there was not right, and the stock pulled back. But the good news about that is I could only lose what you paid for the options as opposed to the stock where you continue to lose as the stock goes further down. So um, I guess from from that perspective, I feel okay about that. But unfortunately, we did have some of that upside call buying, and that did not work out. Well, they did have a positive combined influenza COVID vaccine early trial data results. It didn't help the stock. And speaking of unusual activity, if we can we just show Jim, make sure he's alive, everything's okay. So that was that was very unusual activity, but everything is fine. The fire. In Jim's place. Sully, put him up just to be Jim. You know, Sully, Sully he's there. I, I, I always aim I always aim to have Grace under fire associated with me, okay? But it was just a fire alarm. Nothing to worry about. Bar I like intact, Grace Under everybody. Pressure also probably Russia's third best album. <laughs> anyway, you've got uh, questions about what Second. to do in the sell-off. There we go. We have got some answers. Ask Halftime is next. We are back in two minutes. All right, time now for the investment committee to answer some of your questions and keep the videos coming. First up, we've got a video question for Stephanie. Hello, this is Sunil in Toronto, Canada. What are the three best sectors to invest in in this environment and the three best stocks as well? Thank you. Steph? 
Well, it all depends on your style and your time frame, but here are my three favorites, industrials, because the economy is certainly recovering. One name I would own is Union Pacific, high quality company. Frustratingly, it's only up 7% this year, but I think there's margin upside, uh, and obviously they're going to benefit from the transportation of goods. Discretionary with 27% savings rate out there, I think the consumer and the pent up demand is gonna be huge. And I like Vail Resorts, top quality company, excellent management team, and they're basically in a duopoly with that great assets. And then in technology, I kind of lean on the more value side of tech, and that would be IBM with the new CEO. Well, he's not there new that, that, that long, um, about a year now that he's been there. And uh, he's focusing on cloud and AI, and they're shrinking to grow. They're selling their services business, trades at 11 times earnings with a four or six yield. So those are the three I like. Yeah, big, big Squawk Box interview, by the way, the new IBM CEO. All right, Josh, we have got a video question from you from a market newbie. Hello, my name is Renika, and I just turned 10. I'm learning about investing, and I want to buy my first ever stock. What do you think as Airbnb as a long-term hold? Hmm. What do you that's think, Josh? A, that's such a great question. Yeah, that's such a great question, and I love that so many new investors uh, are thinking about this stuff and getting involved. I think if you're going to hold something for the long term, and at your age you definitely can, one of the most important considerations is management. And I believe that Brian Chesky, who is a founder and CEO of Airbnb, will figure out a way to be successful over the long term. So I think it's okay. My favorite stock in this segment is Expedia. I like it a little bit better because in addition to having a business like Airbnb's, they also have all of the travel business, no matter where people stay when they go away on vacation. So I think both can work, and I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you so much for your question. Yeah, great question, Renika. All right, next question is for Jim. My question today is for Farmer Jim about GM. Jim, I'm a big-time GM bull, and I always appreciate your insight on the stock. Uh, my question for you today is, when are we going to get our dividend back? Thanks, and be well. Jim? Okay, good question. Um, listen, I'm going to blow your mind. I don't want them to put the dividend back in. When they put the dividend back in, there's a, a probability that they might be looked at as an old, stodgy combustion engine company. They might be looked at as a value stock yep. like, a, like a tobacco company. I don't want that. I want this to be looked at as the electric vehicle and autonomous vehicle company of the future. If they generate so much cash flow okay. that they don't GM. know what to do with it, buy back shares, not, not a dividend. Okay, thanks for the questions. Final trades are coming up next on Halftime. All right, welcome back. Dow is down 608. All right, time for final trades. Guys, only 30 seconds. Apologies. We're going to go Steph, Josh, Jim, Pete. Go, Steph. Stanley Black and Decker, tools and storage is on fire, growing 45% last quarter. I think it continues. Oh, we had to remember our place. I'm so sorry. I like General Motors. Uh, I would use this weakness today to buy the stock. Cleveland Cliffs. Who's Sunrun. Surprised Jim didn't pick Energizer for new batteries for the fire alarm. Thanks for watching Halftime Report. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.